Welcome back to another episode of Generic Conversations. Hope you all are doing well. This is Jen Amos, your host for the show. So how has your new normal been? Let me tell you, this last week here in Virginia Beach, Virginia, we experienced a power outage for 30 plus hours due to the tropical storm Isa AS. I hope I pronounced that right. I had to look it up. Isa AS. 30 hours of having no power in your house really humbles you. It makes you appreciate what you have, like a car with AC and a charger for my phone and other devices, while my husband, dog, and I drive around town in 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, of course, we can't work in coffee shops because of the pandemic. So super grateful (laughs) that that I didn't have to go through this alone. So glad that I had my husband and my dog. Of course, my dog didn't mind being outdoors anyway. He was actually pretty thrilled about it. And of course, I am extremely grateful for this handheld computer called my phone. We actually got a lot of work done driving around. It was an opportunity for us to do a little sightseeing, you know, in our neighborhood. And yeah, I mean, just the power of our phones. Let me tell you, if anyone is looking for opportunities in these times, start with your phone because it is powerful. And I can say that firsthand when you have no power at home. All right, I hope this last week was a lot better for you than it was for me. With that said, let me go ahead and get into a couple of announcements before we get into our wonderful conversation today. Do you consider yourself an easygoing person who loves having casual, candid conversations? I'd like to believe at this point, if, if you've been following the show, that has been you, because that is what the show is about. And that is what my upcoming mastermind is about. If you are looking to be in community with other introspective and proactive individuals that love to actively seek the next piece of inspiration to get them out of their temporary funk, then this mastermind is for you. I've mentioned in the recent episodes that I am still working out the kinks, but if you would like to get updates on that, please visit genericpodcast.com. That's generic with a J as in Jen, my name. And please sign up for my newsletter so that you will get the latest updates on that mastermind. You could also check the show notes of this episode to learn more about the mastermind and sign up for the waiting list. And my last exciting announcement for today is if you are a podcaster or you're aspiring to be a podcaster and you're looking to start or grow a show, and better yet, If you are interested in attempting a world record, well, PodFest Global Summit, which is starting next week from August 10th to the 15th of 2020, is attempting the Guinness World Records title for the largest attendance for a virtual podcasting conference in one week. And guess what? While tickets are available, you could be a part of it all for free. Check out the show notes of this episode to claim your ticket now. I am actually going to be one of the speakers, so I would love for you to come out and support. Or of course, you can visit genericpodcast.com to sign up. And hey, if you are interested in upgrading your ticket, find my contact info on my website, genericpodcast.com or in the show notes of this episode. And I will be super happy to hook you up with a major discount. 
Oh, I wanted to share that uh, my husband, my dog and I are back home and we have AC and I couldn't be any more grateful. So in case you're wondering, we are doing okay now, which is why I'm able to share these announcements with you. All right, so thank you so much for indulging me in my announcements. So now I'll get into today's episode. Today's generic conversation will have you thinking about how it's not an oxymoron to be a creative entrepreneur with a rigid structured schedule, how you can get a better ROI, that is return on investment from your mailing list than on social media, and how it's very important to decouple your self-worth from your success or failures. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you will too. So with that said, please enjoy this next episode with Russell Nolte. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Generic Conversations, where I'm very fortunate to have candid conversations with amazing individuals that'll have you say, I needed this. I'm Jen Amos, your show host, and I'm grateful for you to join us today. So today's conversation is with a very interesting person, Russell Nolte. Russell is a USA Today bestselling author, speaker, and six-figure creative entrepreneur. He's raised over $170,000 on Kickstarter, built a mailing list of over 20,000 people, and has exhibited at more than 150 events since 2016. Now he teaches creatives how to lead a complete and successful life through his teaching academy and podcast, The Complete Creative. Russell, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. While we were offline, I just wanted to acknowledge that you gave me a beautiful compliment for the name of my show. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love a good pun. Yes. Yeah. So if anyone is curious to know where generic conversations come from, I encourage you to listen to the trailer episode of my show where I explain how generic is really a combination of my name and the word generic. (laughs) So Russell, we had a really cool, just a short conversation before we started offline, but for people that are hearing about you for the first time, why don't you share a snapshot of your life today, particularly what keeps you busy or excited nowadays? Sure. So I run three companies. I own a Verizon dealership, which I mostly don't hang out at or in. But the two things that I do most of the time are my publishing company, Wannabe Press, which publishes comics and novels. Monsters, mythology, and magic are Mm. kind of the things that we publish, mostly fantasy, a little bit of horror, a little bit of sci-fi. And then I have a training academy called The Complete Creative. So any day you'll find me kind of bopping between those two. Most of my life is spent writing, though. Mm. That is the passion that I have. That is the work that I do. The um, training academy is sort of the mission that I have in life to help creatives build better businesses and stop being screwed. So I do that for my podcast. I used to do a lot more marketing for that, but with the downturn, most of my marketing clients have left and left me with a lot more time to write and like do podcast records and such. So that is where a snapshot of my day, like today, for instance, is a writing day, except for this podcast. So I get up at six I start writing at nine. I write 5,000 words. I got that done uh, right before this conversation. Mm. And then about two o'clock, I stop and I take a walk, take a nap, read until about five where I do a couple more hours of admin work. So my work is basically from about six to two and then five to seven. So about 
10 hours a day, roughly, but it's broken up into writing time and then admin time. And then some days you'll see me as a full day podcast recording or full day recording a course. But most of my days now are spent writing, which is just lovely. That's incredible. I think for someone that's a creative, I'm very impressed at what it sounds like a rigid schedule. It sounds like you have a pretty rigid schedule. You telling me the timeframes of when you start working and stop working and you take a break and then you start again. You know, I think for myself, the way that I live my life sometimes, you know, other than the scheduled calls that I have with people, I usually just have this to-do list and I say, okay, what's the thing that needs to be done now? But it sounds like you have a pretty organized schedule and you're rigid with your time. Does that sound about right? Yeah. So I find that the best thing to do, so I used to work in sales, so I'm big on time blocking and like Mm. green, yellow, and red time. So I also read the one thing and deep work and a bunch of stuff. The research just shows that like, if you're doing one thing for a long period of time, you end up being able to get more out of it. Mm. And so my goal is to sort of, first of all, like create a couple of days, you know, I have a launch day, plan. So like I'm launching, I have that sort of plan for that day, a promotional day, I have a plan for that. And then a writing day. Mm. There are a couple of other things just like writing days or editing days, but most of my days are one of sort of launching promotion or writing. And Mm. I find that when I switch between doing a bunch of stuff, it affects how well I do any of those things. Um, And it makes me work longer hours and I hate Mm. long hours. Like I got to be a writer because like I wanted to work short hours and like I wanted to put out one book a year and like sit by a lake and stare out at like the water, like all the things that like (laughs) everyone lied to me about about what being a writer is like in my life. So yeah, I try very hard to be rigid about the things that are making me money and like the most important thing and make sure that everything is focused together. So I sort of have this pyramid and like at the top is the thing that I'm driving for. And then underneath it are all of the little pieces that like help me drive towards that. Mm. And then everything that sort of falls outside that pyramid is just stuff that I say no to like Mm. immediately. Some things I don't immediately say no to. Some things I like will try a little bit or like some things I think like could kind of increase the pyramid base a little Mm -hmm. bit. So I try to keep myself very under leveraged so that when something like that comes about, like for instance, the last couple of months, I ran three virtual summits in three months. And so it was hellish for me because I was then over leveraged for that couple of months, but it allowed me to kind of see if that was a part that I wanted to include in my business. So I do take on these sort of short sprints where I'm doing different stuff than I normally would. But generally, I fall back in on like on a normal week to trying to do the same thing at the same time. Like I am very much like whatever t-shirt I pick out of my closet first is the one that I'm wearing that day. I try to keep all of the like the simple decisions mindless so that I have time and space to do the work that is very hard. Writing a book Mm. is very hard. I've written now. 18 novels and two nonfiction books, plus Mm. a bunch of comics. And there is nothing that is as hard as writing a fiction novel for me. It is completely like it takes all of my time, energy and focus. Nonfiction is a little bit easier, but Mm -hmm. for the fiction work, which is a thing that I really love doing, it is kind of all consuming. And so in order for it to be all consuming, it has to like, I have to be very precious of that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I think that's really awesome. And it sounds like you are a good role model for creatives that want to be 
in business for themselves or want to like really, you know, support themselves in their own creative endeavors. And I'm just very impressed by your self-discipline and your ability to time block and everything. Well, it's, uh, it's hard. I'm not going to say that it's like easy. I like looking at Facebook as much as the next person, but <laughs> a couple of things that keeps me the discipline is I know how much I can get done in a day. First up, I have Graves disease, so I'm chronically mm. ill. And so I have to know how many spoons I have in a day, how wow. many, like, how much energy I have every day to like on a normal day. So I did a lot of work to be like, okay, I've got about five hours or 5,000 words of like creative energy in a day that I can use on most days. Some days I have less, some days I have a little bit more, but generally I have five hours. And in that five hours, I can get a thousand words written each hour. Mm. And so what I do is I don't beat myself up if I get all of those words done in the 15 minutes, I can then like donk around until the next hour. So it's not like I'm completely like rigid about it. What I am rigid about is making sure that I'm not taking meetings during that time. Mm. And then knowing exactly what I'm going to do during that time, because I know my body and I know how I am most productive. And I think that as far as creatives go, for instance, there's a lot of creatives who end up being night owls, but then they find themselves fighting humanity to like do the work during the day. And like they're fighting against their natural tendencies. Mm -hmm. And I'm very lucky that like I am an early morning person and Mm -hmm. I lose energy about two. So I know that by two, I need to do something to recharge the energy that's Mm. working out or going on a walk. And I watched this masterclass with Frank Gehry. Mm -hmm. He's an architect who did the Disney concert hall and the Guggenheim and a bunch of like beautiful kind of weird buildings. But Mm -hmm. he was saying that in his work, his work is so structured. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all sorts of building permits and architectural things and like gravity. There's all of these like forces around him that he has to be beholden to. But in that, there's about 15% that is like his, like that's his magic, like that's mm. the magic. And he was talking about how the structure allows him to be free. And mm. I've always found that in my own work that knowing the structure of what a story is or what a podcast looks like or these little pieces, knowing that structure allows me to be free and allows me to free associate and allows the lizard brain to like make the connections that they need to make. Whereas if I were just going by the seat of my pants, I would be in fight or flight mode. I would be like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this other thing. Right. And it prevents you from getting into that deep flow state, or at least prevents me from getting in that deep flow state that allows me to do the kind of hard work of putting a book together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's a phrase I heard that talks about the freedom and structure, and it goes something like, a train can't be free unless it's on rails. And you reminded me of that quote and the importance of having structure and direction and, you know, focus essentially on like one thing and one direction and one everything. So I really like that. What was the name of that book again? It's called The One Thing is what you said. Okay. So The One Thing is, uh, there's two different books called The One Thing. I believe this one is by Patrick Keeler. Okay. Uh, it is like The One Thing and the subheading is The One Thing You Can Do to like Get Extraordinary Growth in Your Life. Yeah. Something like that. It's I think that's on my wish list. So I appreciate you talking about that because I've been meaning to, I have one Audible credit for this month that I haven't used yet. And so I think like that book's been sitting on my wish list. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. I love The One Thing because the thing that entrepreneurs 
often don't have, especially creative entrepreneurs, is structure. They end up working for 20 hours, but never getting anywhere. They end mm. up like doing 20 podcast records and like being like, where is this thing going? And mm-hmm. I found that the idea is called the big domino. And the big dominoes, I don't know if you've ever seen it online, but there are these videos of like this 10 foot tall domino. And yeah. then like there's a five foot tall one and a two and a half. And like the final one is like, just like this big. And they like tip that over. And by tipping all of the little one over and then one that's double the size and double the size and double the size yeah. in about a minute, this big 10 foot one falls over. It's because they're all kind of moving in the same direction. So the idea is like, what is the big domino that's going to have to fall for you mm. to get to the next level of your career? And then that sort of becomes sort of the guiding light for like mm. what you're looking for. And on top of that big domino, all of these little small things have to go right. Like mm. they all have to, there's like all these littler, you know, there's the 10 foot, but then there's the five foot and the two foot and the one foot. And all of these dominoes have to fall before the big one can fall. Mm-hmm. And so the big ones at the top and the little ones kind of are cascading down into the bottom. I like to do it in a pyramid just because like, I don't know, maybe it's the pyramid from the food pyramid from school. I just like see like, okay, these things help me move to the next level. And all of this other garbage out here, like doesn't help me move to the next level. So I've designed most of my life to fit into that bubble. You know, for instance, Wannabe Press is my publishing company. Mm -hmm. The Complete Creative is my educational company. But Mm -hmm. all of the things I learned from Wannabe Press get funneled into the Complete Creative. So all of it, there's like no waste. Everything that I do is leveraged at least two ways because I learn it and then I teach it. So they both fall under this structure. And so doing my podcast falls under that structure. Being on Mm -hmm. other podcasts falls under that structure. But I've been doing a lot of different kinds of podcasts. We were talking about this before. And like I've found that some of them I enjoy doing more than others. There are some topics that I enjoy talking about more than others. There are some hosts that I like more than others. There are some sort of like just formats that I like more than others. Mm -hmm. So it allows me to now be like, I'm not doing those other ones. I'm going to do the ones that I think are going to move me forward. And so even within the podcast guesting is good. It doesn't mean all podcast guesting is good. It means some of it is good and some of it is bad. Like virtual summits kind of fall in there. And so I'm always kind of testing new things to see if they come into or out of because the next problem, once you have this pyramid is you'll get to a place and then you'll plateau. Then if the only thing you're doing is that sort of day that I have over and over and over again, you're not going to get to the next level because like Mm -hmm. the thing that got you here isn't going to get you there. So Mm -hmm. by definition, if you want to go to the next level, you've got to find some other thing to unlock pretty much some other strategic partnership or some other friendship or some other book or some other series or whatever it is. If you want to stay at this level, you can just keep staying at that level, but you've got to kind of test to see if like this is going to take you to the next level and like this is the thing to bring in or like that is the thing you have to go out because suddenly these things that are also very far down in your pyramid, they become inconsequential to now being where you are. So some mm-hmm. things that served you are so minusculely important that now you're like, well, that doesn't work. It Like I shouldn't be wasting my time with that because it doesn't give me good leverage for the time that I have. And right. you're, you're also pushing stuff out of that pyramid and bringing stuff in. And then for me, at least, I was able to be like, okay, well, writing is the number one activity that I mm-hmm. do. 
and then podcasting is number two because it services the complete creative side. So like those are things that like I need to have a podcast day. I need to have a writing day, but I need to have mm. more writing days than podcast days. So I've got to have like four podcasts a month, mm-hmm. but I've got to have like six books a year. So I've got to like just write way more than I do podcasting. So mm-hmm. it sort of allows me to sort of take the days and map them out and say, this is going to be a writing day. And like, what does a writing day look like? And you know, yeah. you know, I'm 37 now. I've written 20 books. Like I wow. know how I write. I know what I write. And so I know that when I wake up and I have a writing day, there's only like three things I have to think about. Got to think of like getting the 5,000 words. Got to think of like doing it by two o'clock. And I've got to think of like, it's probably pretty much all, those are the only two things that I have to think about on that day. And mm. it allows me the freedom of like, nothing else matters. And so if important things come in or like other stuff comes in, like all I care about is the writing, which is the thing I care about. Like that's the thing I care about. So like I'm very precious of that time. Yeah. Russell, you do a lot. I mean, it sounds like there's a common theme amongst all of it, but tell me that you're not doing this alone. You must be getting help with your businesses and, and everything that you're doing. Well, I mean, I hire freelancers, obviously, who edit and proofread my books. I hire freelancers to work on my covers and all of that stuff. But as far as like the day-to-day of movement of the company, except on a project-by-project basis, I do all of it. I do everything. Mm. Wow. But yeah, I don't really hire out very much. I've tried assistants and other things. What instead mm-hmm. I do, instead of what an assistant would do, is I just don't do that thing. And so I probably <laughs> leave some money on the table, but like... You know, for instance, you know, I have a publishing company, but there's no submission page on my website because like, Mm -hmm. I don't want your submissions. Like I, so like, Mm -hmm. I just, instead of having a submission page or some way to submit to me, I just like literally don't talk about it. So you can't (laughs) submit to me. I don't use anything but Facebook pretty much. A little bit of Twitter, Mm -hmm. no Instagram. I check LinkedIn for the first time in like a year and I was like, oh my God, when did this become a social media platform? But like, (laughs) I pick the things that like service me and I double down on those and the things that already fit into my life. So Facebook fits into my life because I like sharing memes and like silly pictures. And like, I like writing long posts about things. And like, you can't do that on other platforms. You can do that on Facebook. So it just, it fits into the ways that I naturally run. And another thing I feel like entrepreneurs is, there's this pervasive like hustle always, do all of this stuff, like try every social media platform, take every course, do all of this stuff. And there are always this huge FOMO and like ads are like making it seem like there's even more FOMO. Right. And I'm always looking to get to the next level and like try a new thing. But I have found that most of my life, if I let it, will be in these like doing discovery calls and like taking these courses and most of the courses are exactly the same. Like they're how to take all of the things I already know and apply them to Pinterest or Twitter or whatever other thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm very focused on my mailing list. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very focused on like the products that we launch for short launch periods. I'm very focused on new products that we have. And I'm willing to not get the 20%. You know how 20% Mm -hmm. of the effort can give you 80% of the results? Mm -hmm. I'm just okay with 80%. Like, I'm just okay with it. Like, I'll never get to the top 20%. And like, whatever. Like, that 20% is going to take me 80% of the effort to do. and (laughs) Or I could just not do any of those things. Right, right. That's really powerful. I want to dive a little bit more into your mailing list because, you know, for someone such as myself, one thing I'm pushing with the business I have with my husband now is our mailing list because I especially like how you are picky, you know, with where you are online. And 
the tools that you actually use. And one thing that I'm pushing more for this year is the mailing list. And so tell me a little bit about the importance of a mailing list. What's the importance of it? Because I think that if anything, it's, it's your currency online. Like it's where you will get the most business, the most, you know, you'll be able to build your community and be able to, I don't know, just really feel like you have an online business. All right. So I will tell you that for every dollar I put in my mailing list, I make somewhere between 33 and $66, depending on how you judge the return. I mm. just did this number yesterday. Wow. It's part of its mailing list growth. Like if you put all of the marketing that you do to build the mailing list as part of like the mailing list growth part of it, because all of the marketing, even if it's not about building the mailing list, still like helps build your mailing list. So yeah, I say it's $30, $35 probably for every dollar I put into my mailing list. And wow. that just grows over time. So there's no other place that I get that kind of return for that kind of effort. So I write one email a week. Mm hmm unless I'm doing launches and then like, so I've got a big launch coming up. So I'll probably write like 20 or 30 emails during the three weeks that that launch is going on. Mm. But I put in like 15 minutes per email at this point mm -hmm. and obscene return. And so I don't know, like I don't have to do any advertising. I don't right. really do my, I do my advertising for other clients, but really my own advertising is mostly word of mouth. And from that I make, like gobs of money. And if I can spend like a couple thousand dollars a year, maybe like a thousand, two thousand dollars a year and make like 60 or $80,000 from that list, it's a pretty good ROI. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so here's the thing, you know, social media companies are pretty evil. I was like, rural. I mean, like, <laughs> I think I that's where coming to find given current events. It, it's, yes. it's it, yeah, like current events is really beginning to show like the least evil one is saying we're just not going to allow political ads and sometimes we'll fact check people that are like doing very, very, very wrong <laughs> things online. Yeah. Not to make this like a political conversation, right, but right. like I don't think anyone from either side likes any of these social media companies mm -hmm, and plus mm -hmm. they destroy like all of your engagement. So True. depending on what their whim is and like whether they think you're writing the right posts or not. Mm -hmm. And like your mailing list is just not like that. You know, yeah. I mean, like Google can put you into the promotions folder or the spam folder and so can other providers. But generally, like if you send an email, someone gets an email. Yeah, we have to remember that when we are on social media, we're stepping into someone else's house and their rules, where with the mailing list, it's your house, therefore it's your rules. Right, exactly. And the third thing is like, the email is the only thing people value online, really, mm -hmm. like their email, like they don't really protect their identity even, or who they like on Facebook or who they follow on Twitter, but they mm -hmm. actually do have some personal ownership of their email. Like they are upset mm -hmm. when things come to their email that they don't like. When someone gives you their email, they're saying like, you must be worth something instead mm -hmm. of all these other things where you're worth nothing. So just psychologically, you're like, they're letting you into their most personal space online. Mm -hmm. And that also means something. Fourth, people have been saying for years that like mailing lists are dead. And I've never believed it. I definitely don't <laughs> believe I've never believed it since the beginning and I certainly don't believe it now. Mm -hmm. I think that you have to be judicious with how you use your mailing list. But mm -hmm. the thing with mailing lists is they're judged all wrong. So mailing lists are judged by the engagement you get to that mailing list. Mm -hmm. But I don't really get a lot of replies to my emails mm -hmm. and yet I make tens of thousands of dollars online 
a year with my email address because people mm-hmm. aren't responding. They are there to buy. It's right. where people go to buy. Like I ask my friends all the time to please send me an email when they have like a thing I want to buy because that is where I keep it. Sometimes I will click in other places, but like I'm not guaranteed to see it in those other places. Right. So like just send it to my email so I know I'm going to get it so I can mm-hmm. buy it. Like I don't respond to a lot of emails either, like once in a while, but like there are tons that I want to get. Right. So people judge emails by engagement. They also judge social media posts by engagement, Mm. which is Mm -hmm. also the wrong metric. Like some Mm. posts are for engagement, but you make less but have more engagement on social media for more effort and more time. And you spend less time and make more money with less engagement on your mailing list. So if you're really judging your business by conversions and not like how many people gave you a thumbs up that day, then like easily (laughs) mailing lists are the best option because like they will actually go and perform the action that you want them to take. Right, absolutely. And people judge ads by the wrong way also in the same respect. We're like, oh, that ad has a lot of engagement or that post has a lot of engagement. Like who cares? Like the best engaged posts almost are never my best selling post ever. Mm. And that is because clickers don't engage And converters don't engage. They just go and do the action that you want them to make. And so people are judging all of the entire internet for business is judged wrong. Mm. Yeah, definitely. You know, that reminds me of, I forgot who said this, but they said something like, you know, popularity doesn't always equal profitability, if at all. And the way that you're describing social media and how people are so focused on the likes and the comments and the shares. I remember I tried to play that game years ago in my my second business venture. I had a boutique social media marketing agency and that was the thought of like, oh, hey, you got to build your following. You got to build your engagement because that's going to equate to sales and come to find it's the people that, like you mentioned, like people like to click, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to take action. And I think as we know today, there's a lot of trolls online as well. So <laughs> a lot of talk, but no action in a lot of these social media spaces. Yeah, so a mailing list kind of doesn't have any of that. You can write personally. Mm-hmm. Also, like someone's just not going to join your mailing list. Like they're just not going to like right. join willy-nilly. Like they're going to join because you gave them something and they think that there's value. Now, oftentimes like you'll have to call a lot of people from your mailing list over time because like, you know, for they don't engage or like they, they entered a wrong email or whatever the thing is. But like, mm-hmm. but generally... Someone's going to your website and joining your mailing list or taking an ad or like getting a thing from you. Like they're not just some random person that are looking there. So like they right. have some interest. And so there's, right. there's just a higher interest level for people on your mailing list. That does not mean everyone will buy from your mailing list. That is a big fallacy. That right. does not mean that cold traffic is the same as warm traffic or hot traffic. And when it comes to your email list, there's like different things you have to do to warm up all sorts of different people. But mm-hmm. the mailing list is the lowest time intensity for the absolute highest engagement in your whole business and Mm -hmm. the least money to like to time rationale in your whole business. You're going to be able to grow the mailing list. And then hopefully if you're making the right product, it should grow your product base and your customer base as you're growing your mailing list. So if you double your mailing list should theoretically double your sales or at least have more robust sales across more people. Because mm-hmm. that's another thing. A lot of times people say, well, you know, I doubled my mailing list, but I didn't like double my sales. And I'm like, well, theoretically, like only half the people that try your product are going to try the next product. Mm-hmm. And so if you 
doubled your mailing list and like had the same sales, you probably would have gotten half the sales if you mm-hmm. hadn't doubled your mailing list. So, you know, you also have a 10% churn every year and there's all these things that you have to worry about with your mailing list, but I'd way rather worry about them with a bunch of people <laughs> who actually want to hear from me than like most yep. social media right. accounts. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. It's just so sad that on social media today, you can have so many followers, but it doesn't mean that they're going to see your content. So mailing list is the way to go. And I appreciate you really hitting home with that or really pressing on that. Russell, in my eyes, I consider you a very successful, you know, entrepreneur, but I know that there's probably a lot of failure that had come behind that. And so I'd love for us to dive into my favorite part of the interview, which is really the personal discovery. And in our notes here, you had mentioned that you had four companies uh, blow up in your face. So tell me about that. All right. I have two big personal discoveries, but the first one was I had four, I had a bunch early and then I had one like literally just last year. So uh, the first four companies that I had, you know, none of them worked out like at all. Mm. I think Mm. I made the same amount in my first launch and want to be pressed than I did the entire time with my first four companies, except maybe like some (laughs) photography work. But like, I started my first company in 2005. Mm-hmm. So 2005 to 2017, I made more money in one month than I did pretty much the whole time. Wow. And I spent $100,000 about to like have all of those failures. So mm. one of the big things behind Wannabe Press is, um, Wannabe Press, the complete creative is like, if you take our courses, you will cut out like a large part of that like stress, mm. a large part of those crappy 10 years that I like you're not making any money because like I've kind of boiled down the things that are like the most essential that I have found. So mm. like hopefully my thing is like how much is a year of your life worth because that's how much I think you'll save like mm. using the courses that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was really hard. It was, you know, you always feel like a huge failure when you're not making any money. The good news is like I did it in my 20s. And like, I believe mm. your 20s should be the time you can dick around and do anything. <laughs> so like I made a couple of comics. I wrote a couple of novels. I directed a movie, a uh, wow. web series that's on, that's called Connections, which you can find on YouTube. And I did a whole bunch of stuff, but like I wasn't making any money. I kept like having these fits and starts where like I got hired to direct like the pilot of a reality show and then I like was an executive producer of a television network for a little while. But mm-hmm. like the money from my own companies just was not coming. And like all of the money that I was making was funneling into these creative projects. Mm. And, you know, the first time that a company of mine failed, it was because of a business partnership that would just be weren't on the same page. He wasn't bad. I wasn't bad. We just like weren't on the same mm-hmm. page. All of the companies that have failed, most of them have been Yeah. Three of them have been because of partnerships. And one of them was because I uh, got in a car accident and I couldn't no longer be a photographer anymore because I was in a neck brace. So I ended up taking just years upon years upon years to like get up from that first one. And then like months upon months upon months to get up from that second one. And what I really learned was when I was in high school, Everyone I know wanted to be a director or a writer or some like creative thing, right? Right. And then when I turned back at like 32, when I started to really turn it around and I was like, where is everyone? Like, mm-hmm. where are they? Like, where did they go? <laughs> like, where are these people? I thought like they were all going to be writers. And like, none of them were writers. Like, I mean, I don't even remember one other person who went into like creative arts from like my high school graduating class. And like at least half of them wanted to do that stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, that's not true. Maybe there was like, I, I, I can probably count a handful, a handful of people who like really ended up 
doing the thing. And like, then, you know, I've now written 20 novels and a bunch of comics. And like, I've hosted a podcast for over 175 episodes. And, Mm. you know, I've grown this company. I'm like, well, who's done that now? Like, who can Mm. like put all of those things together? It's like, yes, there's plenty of people that have like written more comics than me or like written more novels than me or like done more podcasts than me. But how many people have done like nine courses and like spoken all over the country? And like, how many people have that weird set of skills. And I realized that's kind of like what we're trying to do, like with Mm -hmm. our lives, what we're trying to do is like cobble together a weird set of skills that like (laughs) only you have that are somehow marketable. Right, right. I hear you on that. And it is kind of interesting. I like how you said you started to turn your life around at 32, because that's where I'm at right now. And I feel like a lot of things are beginning to align in my life. I'm on my third, I mean, official business venture, but I definitely had like projects here and there that have failed. And I've kind of come to a place where this is just the life that I'm going to choose to live. And, you know, all my friends that were fortunate to have maybe the comfy, secure jobs, and some of them were let go at the beginning of, you know, COVID-19 and this whole pandemic. And I'm just really grateful that I have what I have today because it gives me the flexibility to continue to be creative and everything. So I like that, you know, that where you are at now at 37, like it sounds like you have a lot of things figured out and it's mainly because of how you had constantly, you know, failed at one company after the next. And so it's just very impressive. And I appreciate you sharing that side because I think that, you know, most people who choose to get into business for themselves they don't hear that often. They think that their first business venture that they hold on to for so long, that's not serving them. You know, they think that's going to, you know, be the one when sometimes you have to let that go because, you know, the next thing may be the best thing for you. Absolutely. I mean, I have given up so many things in my life, companies Mm -hmm. and like career paths and realizing like the career path that I wanted is so far away from the one that I got to. Mm -hmm. But You know, I think that another thing that's pernicious about the entrepreneurship world is there's this idea that like once you've got it, like you've got it and it's suddenly like you're going to like just fly away. And (laughs) I'll tell you that like a couple of really good years in a row, uh, you know, that they didn't do nearly as much as far as profit wise as they did revenue. But like I thought we hit like 135 one year, 125 Mm -hmm. the next year, and I think 120 or something last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty good, like pretty good as far as like uh, revenue figures go, especially since the average company hits like 40,000 in revenue. That's like what the average Mm -hmm. company like does in the United States. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not high six figures, but it is six figures. And like, Mm -hmm. so last year, I decided I was going to really do a push into novels. And this is something that has been a real struggle for me all these years. I'm very well known in independent comic scene and as an editor for anthologies and such, but Mm. nobody wants to believe that I can write a novel for some reason. I don't know, even though I've written 18. So I decided that last year I was going to like really start pushing the novels hard, like Mm -hmm. very, very hard. because it's like the number one thing. It's like the thing. It's like, that's, I want to become a more successful author. Like that's the thing that I'm working towards. And so it means like all of the things under it, but part of it means like getting people to know that I'm like actually an author and not only a comic creator, I also write novels. and like, I write a lot of novels and they're all quite good. Yeah. So I did like eight launches last year at the beginning of last year. 
And like, they did so badly, <laughs> so badly. <laughs> I'm saying like, okay, so I made maybe, I spent like maybe let's say $20,000 on these books and wow. made two grand back. Like, wow, so bad. <laughs> uh, wow. Was, and each launch was just worse and worse and worse and worse and worse than the last one. And like oh until goodness. about this time last year where I was like suicidal, like I was like literally ready wow. to end it. Mm. And, and this is right after, like I had had probably the best year of my professional career as far mm. as like success goes. I had like just done a, like my biggest Kickstarter ever, but I kept failing at it over and over and over and over again. And, and that was just like, what, a, a year ago. And we went mm. on after that to have like three of our best launches ever mm. by going back to like our first principles. And, but like, I'm still quite worried about the novel part of this because the comic part of it is much more expensive to do per project basis than novels. But, you know, it's just this testament to like, you could be really successful at one thing, but that does not mean that like the success train is going to keep going. And I really learned from that, that it's very important to decouple your self-worth from your success or failure because, well, A, like if you tie it to your self-worth at the beginning, when you're on the way up, you're just going to be an insufferable dick. On the, on the way down, you just like, it's so painful. It's so painful as a person <laughs> who went through it. Like it's so painful right. to like watch everything slip through your fingers and feel like the only reason that anyone cared about you was because you were successful in the first place. And so mm. like, it's a really dangerous roller coaster to go down. So yeah, it's put me in a pretty good place. And like the nice thing about like having so much failure in my life is like when COVID came, like it's not been easy. Like, mm. you know, I lost 75% of my business in a week, but Man. it certainly made me resilient too, to Absolutely. be like, well, I just like last time this happened, I just squirreled myself away and like wrote a bunch of books and those books I still sell today. So like, maybe I'll just do that. And like, so that's what I'm doing. And, and like having all of the knowledge of all of the past failures yeah. and the past successes means that you can always fall back on those. Hopefully you can fall back on those and hopefully like it allows you to pivot much more quickly. And a lot of business is just having a first mover advantage at the right time. Mm. Oh, I'm writing that down. <laughs> I think that's a great takeaway of, you know, the benefit of so many failures is that you do get to pivot a lot more quickly when you do have to do that. Russell, I really enjoyed our conversation today. I really need this. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So why don't we just share one more thing? I want to learn a little bit more about the Complete Creative Podcast for any creative that's listening to the show that you know wants to learn more about you and listen to your podcast. Sure. So I have a training academy blog and podcast called The Complete Creative at thecompletecreative.com. It has over 400 blog posts, including epic blog posts about how to build your audience, how to run Kickstarters, how to run virtual summits. And these are like seven to 10,000 word like blog posts, they're quite, quite in depth as well as like short <laughs> nice. ones and little ones. And I try to put out like one blog post a week at this point, I was putting them out once a day for about a year. And so I'm doing kind of like one a week now, kind of when I feel like it, but, and they're quite good. I'm quite a good writer, but the podcast is then about me interviewing creators, about how they built and sustain a creative career. Mm. So it is heavily bent towards writing or storytelling, because that is the path that I'm on. But I also do a lot of podcasts with other podcasters. Mm -hmm. So I had Maurice Cherry, whose show Revision Path was the first podcast ever led into the Smithsonian. 
We had Mark Rickers, who is a radio producer at one of the PBS stations in, uh, or NPR stations in Wisconsin. We had Amina Valiani, who runs uh, Glow FM, which is kind of like Patreon, but for podcasters. We have all sorts of podcaster people. We've had filmmakers on. We've had fine artists on. We have advertisers and doctors to talk about like how to sort of build brands and like keep your mindset right. It's really made for creatives by a creative to sort of my goal for the entire sort of site is that at some point someone will be able to look back and say, wow, he really gave a good impression of what it was like to lead a creative life. Like it was mm. not always good. It's not always bad. The advice doesn't always work, but like it worked for him. And like generally like it's this sort of organized chaos of like what it means to be a creative in the 21st century. And the podcast is uh, sort of the one time of the week that I just get to not worry about numbers and just sit and talk to somebody. It's sort of like the whisper network of people. This is the first like really big launch that I'm doing to like really talk about the complete creative. But it's basically one six-figure creative talking to another six-figure creative. I've been doing it for a hundred and 70 or so, 70, 80 episodes. I do in the backlist also have a bunch of like me talking to camera or into the mic about like a process of, of creating or hard lessons that I've learned or revenue numbers that I've generated or some sort of thing like that. And mm -hmm. all of last year, I had my income report on the complete creative also. So you can actually see like literally how I made all of the money that I made last year mm -hmm. and how many different revenue streams. It was like 10 or 15 different revenue streams that all sort of combined to make the thing that I do. So I'm very proud of the complete creative. It also is one of the few things that I've ever found that is like from a truly creative human, like, mm -hmm. like, you know, not someone who's like doing pain point selling or someone who's like doing like the normal, like someone who's really like making a artistic work. Not that mm -hmm. that other stuff is not artistic. I'm not like, I write nonfiction books too. And like, there's a lot of artistry there, but like, it's from a creative human who's not like trying to sell you on his courses. I make money on the thing that I do. I also make money on the courses, mm -hmm. but it is like not from an academic, it's from an actual creative who understands like how to break down the business process in a way that creatives understand yeah. and can get behind. And there's not a lot of those in the world. A lot of people focus on creativity like Elizabeth Gilbert or bringing more creativity into your life. Many people are teachers who are selling their courses or their books about like how to like start a blog or do this stuff, but they're not like, not that they're not true creatives. Cause that's like, again, not what I'm saying, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of artists out there who like are artists and like their thing is their painting or their fiction book or their, their sculpture or their film. Mm -hmm. And like the film doesn't like, it's not like a nonfiction film. It's not a documentary. Like, it's there to edify the world and like fill through your soul. And there's so little for that person who's like, mm. I know how to make a thing, but I don't know how to sell this creative thing. Even yeah. people who like are great at like selling stuff or like doing financial management or like doing accounting, like when they try to put that same process to their creative work, it just does not work. It does not, mm -hmm. it falls flat. Like the processes are similar, but they're also very different. And I consider myself one of the foremost experts specifically at building a creative business as a creative who has built a business to creatives 
who are building their own business and to do it in a way that you don't have to feel like you're selling your soul. Mm. You sound very talented and very knowledgeable and also very compassionate toward other creatives and helping them grow their businesses. So I'm very impressed by it. And I don't think I've really heard anyone else talk the way that you do as a creative to creatives. So Russell, I want to thank you so much for taking time today to speak with me at Generic Conversations. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and learning from you and just hearing your story and really painting that picture and sharing that transparency or being very transparent about what it takes to be a creative in the 21st century, as you have said. So before you go, I want to see if you had any more closing thoughts and any other social media links you'd like to share or online links you'd like to share for people to get a hold of you. Sure. So I guess I'll give a plug to my writing career because that's the thing that really like keeps me going. Mm -hmm. I am a USA Today bestselling author of Monsters, Mythology, and Magic. If you like fantasy, I write mythological fantasy, very fast-paced action adventures, women lead characters who take their destiny into their own hands and fight against the gods to like make a life for themselves. Uh, It's very empowering in this kind of climate where we feel like we have no agency on anything, mm. which is not was not necessarily my intention, but I've heard it a lot over this, mm. the course of this. Uh, they're funny. They're fast paced. I recommend a book called And Death Followed Behind Her, which is the first in my God's Verse Chronicles. There is also the first story in that three book set is called And Demons Followed Behind Her, and it is completely free on all platforms. You can get it. Read one chapter. If you love the first chapter, you're going to love the whole series. If you don't, then you'll know very quickly. But it's very much how I talk. My wife says it's always nice when she reads my work because she can hear like some of the sentences, like things that I would actually say. So very cool. And if you go to russellnolte.com, you get a couple of free sample chapters of books and of stories and of my comic book work as well and anthologies. And the first chapter of how to build your creative career, which is the sort of overarching structure that all of the complete creative is based upon broken up into five sections, how to make better stuff, how to build a sales funnel and like get yourself started in the business part of it, how to build an audience from scratch, how to do live events better and how to launch products. And then I am across all platforms at Russell Nolte, but really I only focus on Facebook and I share sort of like funny memes about death and grief and loss and, (laughs) and fairy tales and mythology. Beautiful. Russell, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate having you today. Thank you for having me. Yes, and to our listener, we hope that today got you to say, I needed to hear this. With that said, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to the next conversation and the next episode. Tune in next time.